Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Tuesday, February 5th. I'm Justin Cojola alongside Tim Hurth. We've got a number of things to talk about today. Uh, a lot of news around DeAndre Francois. Bad and maybe good for him. A little bit unclear. I don't know if you guys saw the NC State game on Saturday, but uh, if you didn't, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that one. And, uh, you know, the Super Bowl was Sunday, which is why we're coming to you a day late. We would be uh, be remiss not to talk about the Super Bowl. So before we get to that, Tim, what's happening on your side of the world? Not a lot. Uh, I'm healing up from the sinus infection that I've been dealing with, so that's always good. Um, you know, the sinuses aren't filled with pressure on a daily basis. We're progressing there. Um you know, I got to drive the minivan a little bit, and, uh, you know, I'm slowly becoming one with the minivan and, you know, making friends with that. So, you know, just doing the old dad thing. How about you? Great. That's good to hear. Uh, we <laughs> we survived the polar vortex in, uh, in Chicago, so woke up on Wednesday morning last week, and the air temperature was minus 21 degrees, Golly. and uh, the wind chill was a... Uh, a cool, brisk, negative 53. So that was definitely the coldest weather I've ever experienced in my life and hope to ever experience uh, again. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. The second you go outside, literally your nose just freezes up, mm. and then you kind of just lose all sense of direction from there. You just start kind of wallowing, wallowing <laughs> around and, and hope to find your way back inside. So. Oh man, that's brutal. I was looking at some of those temperatures, and um, you know they were flying in from the you know the upper reaches of Minnesota, like negative fifty five. You know, with the wind chill, and I just you know at that point I just leave. There's not enough money in the world for me to yeah. put up with that. Yeah, we actually did. We uh, we got out of there Wednesday night. Went to Dallas for the weekend. We uh, were seeking some warmer shelter. And uh, I was actually playing golf on Saturday in shorts, and it was delightful. (laughs) I know you were. I got a couple of your text messages. Um, Yeah, duly noted, man. Golf is uh, about to heat up a little bit heading in February here. You can maybe uh, get some driving range time in the not-too-distant future. At least down here we can. You, I don't know. You might have to wait until May. Yeah, for sure. And our our boy uh, and favorite Puma uh, rep, Ricky Fowler, Won yes. the Waste Management Open in Phoenix, so that mm. was uh, that was always great to see. Ricky, gotta, gotta, love, gotta Ricky. love Ricky, man. But uh, let's go ahead and jump into some ACC football news. Not a whole lot to report, other than the bombshell that was dropped on Tallahassee. Uh, I guess it was Sunday yes. that this happened, where DeAndre Francois, his uh, now ex girlfriend, released a Instagram post kind of highlighting uh, abuse that, at the time, she said was physical in nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had released some audio about some kind of argument they were having. And what's key about this, a couple of things. Florida State dismissed them from the team pretty much immediately. And there was a little bit of a background to this. Uh, he, you know, There was a uh, police call back in January about some kind of domestic disturbance uh, with Francois and his then-girlfriend, which... You know, nothing uh, Nothing came of it. Then this happened. Well, today, she backed off of those comments and said she portrayed him in a false light. He had never touched her physically, 
It had only been verbal abuse, and the argument that she released was made to sound like he was beating her when, in fact, he was not. So, interesting plot twist to Mm -hmm. the DeAndre Francois saga in uh, Tallahassee. Either way, he's not going to be there next year. He is in the transfer portal. Um, So, I don't know what your reaction is to that instantly, but kind of a, a messy situation down there. Yeah, man, super messy. These domestic issues that are popping up more frequently, at least we're hearing about them more frequently than we used to, are really, really, really bad news. You know, you you hate to speculate on things like this, whether or not he hit her, um, whether or not the altercations were as bad as they seemed on the audio. Um, You know, who knows? My reaction was that something was going to happen with DeAndre, um, with Blackman looking like such a solid starting quarterback. Um... DeAndre, you know, whether he was even going to win the job next year was up in the air. Um, It's hard to take chances like this nowadays, you know, and and DeAndre, unfortunately, probably not worth the risk at this point. Uh, You know, getting out of there, probably the best for both parties. And, you know, he gets to move on from what could have been a sticky situation um, and an uncomfortable, potentially uncomfortable situation with his uh, starting job in Florida State. Uh, they get to move on and, and separate any ties from someone who could have had, you know, some domestic issues. It's, it's, it's tough. It's a win for DeAndre, I think, in the long run. It's a win for Florida State in the long run, and it's uh, unfortunately a loss from DeAndre from a personal standpoint and a loss for uh, the young lady in the situation who you truly feel bad for. Um, you know, whether or not she painted him in a bad light is clear. Something pretty tough happened to her, and you hate to see those kind of things. So. You know, another one in the transport, or another at least athlete in the transfer portal. I feel like we've been saying that 10 straight episodes now, but that's how it goes. Yeah, it's uh, definitely an unfortunate incident. Uh, Obviously, I think every team, um, regardless of level, should have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to domestic issues. Uh, And the fact that Florida State released him immediately tells me that maybe they knew a little bit more than everybody else knew because for them to just do that based off of an Instagram post doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially when she comes out only a day later and they reacted so swiftly. I think there was probably a few more details to this story that we don't know, uh, but the school has been um, enlightened on. So I don't know if anything like that's going to come out in the future. Um, I expect him to land with somebody else it kind of feels like at this point he's going to land at kind of a d2 program right a uh fcs level it just kind of has that feeling so we'll see what happens um but we will just move on from that from the florida state quarterback standpoint you know now they're down to two scholarship players on their uh two scholarship uh quarterbacks on their roster so james blackman obviously would be the favorite they've got redshirt freshman jordan travis and uh, they've also got a uh, a well thought of walk uh, walk on prospect called uh, Nolan McDaniel. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with uh, National Signing Day coming around the corner. Which reminds me, we will have a special National Signing Day recap um, on Wednesday night, released for you on Thursday. So be sure to check that out. But uh, yeah, so we'll see what uh, we'll see what Florida State does uh, from here. But right now, you got to think it's Blackman's job. Yeah, you certainly do. And uh, you know, I, I think they'll be in good hands with Blackman. Uh, Taggart, the offense, you know, under Bryles, all that's going to be something to watch. But, 
you know, he should, for all intents and purposes, have a pretty strong year next year. Um, you know, the key, obviously, to that quarterback position is going to be fixing that offensive line. And um, they got a lot of ground to make up in one year. So, um, you know, if they can at least get Blackman some time to stay upright and make some throws, we could be looking at a big year from him. Uh, another team we highlighted quite a bit last week for uh, tr- a lot of transfer news was Virginia Tech. So a couple things to note there. It looks like Deshaun McLeese is coming back to Blacksburg. When he entered the portal, it felt like he was not 100% committed to it. Um, and it turns out that was indeed the case. So it looks like he's coming back. Um, so we'll see what happens with him and, and the Hokies for next year. But I think that's a, a win for Tech. And... Uh, Tech is also down to two scholarship quarterbacks um, now that Hendon Hooker has decided to uh, enter the transfer portal, which wasn't at all surprising. Hendon came in as a four-star recruit, was highly thought of, and uh, just for whatever reason has not been able to crack crack the starting lineup, really crack any playing time. So uh, wish him the best as he pursues other opportunities. But right now you are down to Ryan Willis and Quincy Patterson. The Hokies have had a couple of uh, commits on the trail. We're not going to get into that so much just because there's so much uh, recruiting news right now. We're going to recap all that on Wednesday. But, uh, yeah, I think the uh, I think the QB battle, it's pretty pretty cut and dry in Blacksburg. It's uh, Willis against Patterson and probably giving the nod to Willis at this point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, Willis certainly should get the nod um, at quarterback. But it'll be interesting to see what we choose to do. And, you know, that's obviously a – a spiel for another show but you know again activity abound in the Hokies transfer portal ins and outs you know it's like a it's like a soap opera over there right now a couple of other grad transfer news and notes uh, Michigan offensive lineman Nolan Ulizo I guess is how you say that is headed to Pitt uh, to give them some depth Pitt has had a pretty uh, poor recruiting class so far so anything will help them at this point yeah and uh, one that I found that was interesting was Tabari Hines transferring to NC State. So for you Wake Forest football fans out there, you might remember that name. He was a receiver who kind of shined in the uh, 2017 season when Greg Dorch went down injured. Yep. Uh, he had 31 of his 53 catches in his final four games and six of his seven touchdowns in those final four games for the season. And then after that year, he decided to transfer to Oregon as a graduate transfer. And so you're thinking, how was he transferring again? Well, he actually got a knee injury at Oregon in August. He only played in three games. Since he didn't play in four games, he was able to get a extended red shirt and can also transfer as a graduate. So he does not have to sit out a year. So NC State is getting a decent receiver in Hines. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think the uh, the cool fact here is he's absolutely torched NC State when he's played against them. <laughs> he has. He's got uh, he twenty two catches for three oh six and four touchdowns. So I think uh, Dave Doran will be happy to have him on his side. He will. And you know, Tavari Hines is going to come in and fill a fill a pretty big hole in the depth chart at slot wide receiver um, with Jacoby Myers looking fantastic leading up to the the draft um you know you expect there's some serious playing time there available for him and uh yeah hopefully he likes to uh continue seeing red and and getting up for those games because he's going to play for a team that he was uh torching uh, the two years that he played them 
Yeah, so continuing some uh, Super Bowl talk, or some football talk, I should say. The Super Bowl, you might have heard, was yesterday on uh, Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. So two weeks of lead-up, a very controversial opponent in uh, the Los Angeles Rams after what happened against the New Orleans Saints with the no-pass interference call. And I wouldn't exactly say this game lived up to the hype. (sighs) No hype. Wasn't, Wasn't the worst Super Bowl in recent history. I mean, I don't know about for you, but for me, the uh, Denver Broncos-Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl was was far and away worse than this game. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that game was over in the first five minutes. Yeah. But this game here was at least compelling down to the end. Uh, It was just a game of missed opportunities. A couple of calls, I guess you could have said, went against the Rams. But at the end of the day, I liked how the officials called it. They went out and let the uh, let the players play. They didn't get in the way too much. Um, it just left me feeling, hey, same old Patriots, you know. You uh, continue to bet against them, and they continue to prove you wrong. I mean, Belichick, to me, this was a just a, a, a stamp on Belichick's legacy as to why he's the greatest coach we've we've ever seen. I mean, you've got a Patriots team going up against one of the highest powered offenses in the NFL and you held him to three points. Yeah. Incredible. And if you had said going into this game, Hey Tim, uh, Tom Brady's not going to throw a touchdown pass and the Patriots are only going to score 13 points. What would you have immediately thought? Oh, well they lost the Super Bowl, No question. By probably two touchdowns. At least. But, Jared Goff and company could not get going, and and really the story of the game for the Rams was the lack of usage by Todd Gurley, and it's got everybody kind of scratching their head as to what's wrong. He was obviously banged up coming into the playoffs, but he was available in the playoffs. He hadn't been used a lot in the last two games, but the, uh, the fact that he only got 11 touches, and I know the Rams just were not on the field a lot. You know, they had nine punts in this game. Uh, this made you kind of wonder, like, what's going on? He only touched the ball 11 times, had 35 yards rushing. And if you've watched the Rams at all this year, you know that they're a run-first football team. I think that kind of gets lost in their kind of high-profile, high-powered um, attack because you just automatically assume it's like um, an air raid, which it's not. Uh, they live and die by the run, and... Golf thrives when Gurley is the guy with the ball. So, yeah, I don't know what your immediate reaction was, but obviously, kind of a uh, a slower paced Super Bowl than we were hoping for. Yeah, so I mean, when you talk about the Rams, you know, and what you mentioned with the run game, like you said, everybody thinks they're a high flying vertical passing team, and they are, but they use the run to set up that vertical passing game for guys like Brandon Cooks and you know, who has no hands, which we all knew, but he's still, you know, is able to get open uh, down the field and, and they've used him to a good degree all year. Without Gurley, however, you can kind of see that offense sputters. Um, and you can't tell me that nothing's wrong with Gurley when you come in with the NFL's best running back and he ends up with, you know, 10 or 11 touches in the game. That's just crazy. And what I can't figure out is why they're so committed. And in the past two games, they've said nothing's wrong with Gurley. After this game, they say nothing's wrong with Gurley. I I don't understand why they're trying to protect him when it's pretty clear, uh, based on the usage and based on what we have seen from him, 
that something is wrong. Um, and to me, that that was the game because you've got C.J. Anderson, who's slowly morphing into Mike Tolbert. Um, you know, I feel like he gains five pounds every time I watch him play, and he's an effective back, but he's not Todd Gurley. Um, you know, he's a straight line runner. He's got more shift than a guy who's 240 pounds should have. Um, but when you got a guy like C.J. getting almost as many carries as Gurley, you just you know there's a problem. And and I don't understand why they cling on to the notion that they have to. You know, you know, hide Gurley's injury or, um, you know, act like he's 100% out there. That part is strange to me. It was strange to see them sputter around on offense. Goff, to me, had a deer in headlights look. It seemed like any time the first man in his progression wasn't open, he completely didn't know what to do with the ball. Um, You know, many times running for the sidelines or throwing the ball away. Um, Shame to see because I bought into the hype. I got Sean McVay and his offensive genius in my head saying, you know, McVay and Belichick, this is going to be a great matchup. And it just turned out that the master came to play and knew exactly what he needed to do to shut the other side down yet again. Well, I'll tell you about about Gurley, and I don't know about you, but he went up a few notches on my respect level for him. Because if you remember the NBA Finals, LeBron came out in a uh, wrist brace after losing Game 5 because... He had clearly been playing with a broken hand the entire time, which nobody had reported, but he wanted to make sure everybody knew he had a broken hand, quote-unquote. So if he had been Todd Gurley, he probably would have just rolled out in a wheelchair with like a leg brace on, saying like, yeah, guys, I've been playing with the sprained MCL. I could barely walk. I don't even know how I was able to get out there. So for me, uh, Gurley kind of went up a few notches. The... uh, you mentioned Brandon Cooks and his catching ability. So, to me, it really the two plays that you're talking about for me wasn't on Brandon Cooks because the one play where he's standing in the end zone waiting, I mean, Goff should have thrown him the ball five seconds earlier. Oh, he was running agreed. wide open down the fields, and I mean, if Goff sees him, they score a touchdown, and that entire game changes. It's huge. But instead, It'd be different. He, yeah, and he just he waits. Cooks post up. He's just a sitting duck in that end zone. And then Jason McCourty comes flying across the field and just hits him going 50 miles an hour. And I mean, Cooks was in a, a no win situation. I mean, there was pretty much nothing he could do there. So I didn't put that one on him. That was definitely on Golf. The second Cooks play, which was the best throw that Golf made all night, interference. where it was four minutes left in the game, Cooks gets arm barred yeah. and they didn't call it. Yeah. I mean, it was a clear-as-day arm bar. It should have been pass interference. They should have had the ball on the inside the five, whatever yard line they were at. And he still almost came down with that ball. And then the very next play, or, uh, Goff throws the worst pass that you'll oh see, gosh. potentially in Super Bowl history. I mean, it, it just looked like he had a sand wedge from... <laughs> 50 yards yeah. out and hit it 25 yards. Yeah. I mean, that's how off that throw was. So yeah. that was the uh, that was the game right there because they were in field goal range. They set up Zerline for a field goal to kick a field goal. That game is entirely different. They still have a chance at the end with the Gotskowski kick. But on the other side, let's talk about Brady a little bit. Brady had pretty much one good drive this entire game. And... He had the he had the play of the game, no doubt, with the throw to Gronkowski uh, down the middle of the field, got them to the two, and then Devlin punches it in for a touchdown, and that that was basically um, 
no turning back for the Rams at that point. But outside of that and throwing to a wide-open Julian oh Edelman word. the entire game. Could not be guarded. Crazy. Tom Brady looked pretty bad. And, yeah. I mean, he, he looked like a guy who, when he got pressured, I mean, he, he made so many poor throws in that football mm-hmm. game. And, you know, for there's been a lot of talk, you know, about Brady, Goat, six, six Super Bowls. I'm not taking away what he's done. Um, to me, you could have had Brian Hoare playing quarterback in this game, and they would have won just fine. The defense is why they won the game, and I haven't heard anybody really talking about the defense from a national media standpoint today about what they've done. I mean, that defense lost basically the quarterback of their defense, Patrick Chung, with the broken arm. You had to think that was the turning point in the game, and then all of a sudden they just kept playing better and better and better. I mean, that was the most well-prepared defensive team that I've seen in a Super Bowl in quite some time to go against an offense like this. And obviously they were aided by basically uh, no Todd Gurley whatsoever. Um, but don't don't tell me that, you know, this adds to Brady's legacy as the GOAT. Yeah, you won the Super Bowl. Yes, the Patriots defied the odds. They weren't the best team all year. They finished the season as the top dog, which is, hey, that's what the Patriots do. You know, you can't take anything away from them. Until uh, until somebody can outcoach Belichick, um, it's going to continue to happen. So we'll see what happens with Brady going forward. Um, I have a feeling that he's going to hang him up, even though he says he's not. I uh, I don't know, but we'll we'll see. I think Gronk is definitely gone. Um, we'll see if Brady follows. But uh, one thing to note is New England has twelve draft picks in the uh upcoming draft next year so Jeez. you can better bet hunter renfro is going to be one of those <laughs> you know he is you know he is and hunter renfro is going to go on to set many patriot receiving records tom is an interesting case right he's i mean i get that people just say he's the goat you know i mean that's the response now and i, I hate using that term the goat um but you know you see that being lobbed around but if you look at the patriots dynasty um, you know, I saw a question posed by, you know, one of those talk shows, whether it's First Take or, you know, God knows what the names are. But they were mentioning who is more, who should get more credit for the Patriots dynasty that they've had in, you know, recent era. Is it Belichick or is it Brady? And I just thought that question was so stupid because to me it's Belichick and it's not even like something you have to think about. Um, but uh, when I read social media and things like that, I, I think a lot of people are thinking Brady is is an equal player in, in that success. And I'm just, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure Belichick couldn't have turned someone else into somebody like Brady. Bel- Belichick is, man, I, and maybe I, I, I don't even know if it's possible to overrate Belichick, but maybe I do. You know, I, I think Brady's largest blessing in his entire career was the fact that he's had Belichick as his coach um, pretty much his entire career as a professional. So to me, yeah, you get the talk of Brady being the GOAT, that's fine. Like you, I also think he's probably leaning closer more towards hanging it up than people maybe think because physically you can see he's losing it. Um, you know, and, and a guy like Brady is also, flip side of that token, is he's he's one of those guys that you could see playing two or three more years, uh, kind of just dinking and dunking down the field and making the right plays from a cerebral standpoint. But um, I don't know. That, that kind of blew my mind that, 
that people are, you know, that high on Brady and not really sitting here and saying, okay, Belichick, come on. Belichick's the real reason the Patriots are the Patriots, at least in my mind. Yeah, it would be like uh, saying if a certain quarterback came in and, and won a national championship with Nick Saban that he's the reason they won and not Nick Saban. Right. At the end of the day, here's here's what Brady and the Patriots are. Here's what Brady and Belichick is. One, I don't think there's ever been a coach-quarterback tandem that it's lasted 17 years. No. Okay, that's probably the only one in NFL history. So consistency obviously helps. But at the end of the day, it's a system that continues to win for the Patriots. And I think it's always overlooked that the Patriots consistently have a top-five defense when they're in the Super Bowl. I think this year was probably the first year they didn't. Okay? But what won the game for him yesterday? Defense. The defense. Who runs the defense? Belichick. Belichick does. Okay. Yeah. He's the best game crafter out there. You can't tell me that if you put a guy like Aaron Rodgers or you put a guy like Peyton Manning on the Patriots that they're not winning three, four, five, maybe six Super Bowls with the type of model that Belichick has built. So I think yeah. it's taken nothing away from Brady. I'm not trying to take anything no. away from Brady no, no. because he's had some incredible performances in Super Bowls, most notably the second-half comeback against Atlanta a couple of years ago was one of the best performances I've seen in the Super Bowl. That being said, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who is an Aaron Rodgers fan. Aaron Rodgers is a guy who plays on a team with four far less talent on the defensive side of the ball (laughs) and it continues to cost them year after year after year but everybody wants to point at him and say well he's only got one brady's got six therefore brady's the goat i hate it maybe but uh to me it's just not a fair comparison football you got to look at the whole team the defense is always overlooked and uh i think we'll i want to see belichick without brady right and he had his guy in garoppolo and we all know how that you know, soap opera ended, but we'll see what happens. Maybe, uh, maybe they'll draft Daniel Jones and, uh, he'll be, he'll be the heir, heir to the King, I guess is, is the, is the way to put it. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see in the, uh, in the post or in the off season what happens. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a reason that Belichick is considered the greatest coach of all time. And I mean, Hey, perfect storm. They've, done incredible things over the last 17 years but uh yeah i don't want to take anything away from belichick and and the defenses that have been on those teams as well no i mean the patriot way is bill belichick's way that's what got you there that's that's the main reason you're looking at six championships is the guy in the cutoff hoodie unfortunately you know fortunately or unfortunately i just hate that discussion point trying to uh, delineate who's more responsible for their, you know, their success, as if it doesn't all trickle down from the top. That's all. But I also think that's why the greatest of all times is a stupid conversation because everybody's circumstance is completely different. Yeah, is Brady a top five quarterback in NFL history? Yes. Is he the greatest of all time? It's arguable, and it always will be arguable. You can't just point at rings. You got to look at the entire, uh, the entire team, the entire circumstance, and the Patriots are the model franchise in football right now, and probably will never be replicated again. So, um, yeah, you know, hats off to the Patriots. Um, 
they'll probably be in the Super Bowl again next year. Who knows? But sure. uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So uh, moving back over to the ACC, we have got some uh, some basketball talk to get to, and uh, I think what we'll do first here, Tim, is we're, we're, we'll we'll uh, we'll run through the games from earlier last week, okay. uh, just to hit on those a little bit, and that'll kind of set up the stage for. For what went down this weekend with uh, a historical performance by uh, one of your favorite teams. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, let's get started. So we've got uh, kicking off the week was Duke. Easy 22 point win on the road over Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Williamson just continues to dominate at 26 point or yeah, 26 points, nine boards in that one. Uh, the game of the week last week was NC State against UVA. Um, that kind of started off a critical week for NC State as far as conference plays goes. And, you know, they really fought back in that game, but they ended up falling in overtime. UVA, uh, the thing that really stood out to me was they were extremely sloppy with the ball. They had 16 turnovers, and uh, they were pretty much dominated on the interior. So I don't know if that gave teams a blueprint um, on how to beat UVA, but – if Salt and Hunter both get into foul trouble, then it's it's going to be interesting to see how they combat that moving forward. Yep, I agree. Then we've got uh, Virginia Tech-Miami, and Virginia Tech pretty much had this game at hand uh, the entire way through. They only ended up winning by 12. But the big story in this one, uh, devastating loss for the Hokies that are already a pretty thin team. Uh, Justin Robinson went out with a undisclosed injury. He was on the uh, on the bench with the walking boot. He was not in the following game against NC State. He's going to be out for the foreseeable future. Word has it, it is a broken toe. Couldn't come at a worse time for the Hokies, but uh, hey, they they fought through this game and they fought through the the following game as well. But what was your initial reaction to the Robinson injury? Oh man, it just couldn't happen at a worse time to a team that's not prepared to handle it uh you know the backup point guard Bede is he's good but he's not Justin um Justin to me is the best point guard in the ACC um just incredible what he's able to do from an offensive standpoint but more important than that a a creating for teammates standpoint just incredible and to have him go down now in such an important time in the schedule is so tough you know you hate it for him especially when he's coming off just a historic performance um, to come out and get injured, it's heartbreaking. And, and then you see a team that's already thin, that to me is is unfairly thin, a, a team that, that certainly should have a freshman who could be contributing right now um, in Landers Nolly. Uh, you know, what happened with Chris Clark, also unfortunate. Um, but, you know, you're missing those two key pieces already to have a third key piece go down. Um, you know, you're starting to get that in the back of your mind saying, what if, what if, what if, and that's, that's a sorry, sad place to be at this point. So I hope he heals up quick. You know, the Hokies have played well to this point they, they've, you know, built up a great record. Um, as long as they can maintain and win the games they're supposed to win, they're going to be where they want to be in the postseason. Um, but the issue now is the legs are going to get tired and there's not going to be enough people to spell them and to get them fresh again. So uh, Buzz has a has a real situation on his hands. 
Yeah, we actually, I mean, we talked about this last week. You know, what happens if Virginia Tech gets an injury and it's a thin team that just got thinner? And, you know, they came in in the preseason. We're thinking, hey, they're going to have Clark. They're going to have Nolly. You know, this is going to be one of the deepest teams in the ACC. Well, they don't have either of those guys. And so they basically had eight guys going into the entire year. And now they're down to seven. But they're not just down to seven. They're without the leader of their team. And... Uh, we've seen it over the last two games with the NC State and Louisville game, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but they do not seem to be moving the ball up and down the floor like uh, like we know how they can. And Robinson isn't just one of the best point guards in the ACC. He's one of the best point guards in the country. He's zeroed down. out. No questions about it. Um, but we'll, we'll see if they can weather the storm. If he can come back, if he can play in the ACC tournament, if he can play in the NCAA tournament, um, I think that that'll be huge, but um, we'll have to we'll have to see how the Hokies respond and if they can get any uh, any other guys to step up and if they can survive with without anybody else getting hurt. Yeah, because um, that's the other thing to consider. I mean, they're they're an injury away from being in very very bad shape. Oh yeah, I mean, you get another injury, you're you got real problems finishing games at that point. So. Um, you know, you're at the point now with this Virginia Tech team where, okay, spelling spelling your players when they're exhausted is a real big problem. Your other big problem is what happens when the refs decide that they want to call games tight and you get into foul trouble. That's where you've got real, real issues because I don't know what you do in one of those situations where uh, you've got one of the point guards in foul trouble and a couple of your front court players in foul trouble. Um, I don't know where you turn, and, you know, it's tough because there's, I mean, there's really short of just warm bodies on that bench, there's nobody there. So it's going to get real fun, man. It's time to buckle up. One thing I will say, though, a testament to Buzz Williams' coaching ability that we're sitting here talking about Justin Robinson being one of the best point guards in the nation, Um, given what Justin, where Justin was as a freshman, Crazy to think we're sitting here talking about this. Um, just awesome for Buzz and, and a testament to his coaching ability. Sad to see him go down and, you know, hopes that the injury is, is nowhere near as bad as some may think it is. Uh, so there were a lot of big games on Saturday. You know, we had said uh, Duke, you know, needed to look out for St. John's. Uh, I think we were a little bit incorrect on that <laughs> one. Duke destroyed St. John's uh, by 30. Uh, but I think the big thing that came out of this game is Duke has a serious issue from three. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were shooting only 31% coming into the game. They had made their first four threes in this game, and then they went three of 22 the rest of the way. So this is the worst shooting percentage from three in Duke history Wow! so far this year. They need to either figure that out or stop taking threes, one or the other. Yeah. Um, so... That's something to watch going forward. I think I think we're seeing the top two teams in the ACC. I think we've identified their weaknesses. Duke can't shoot the three. Right. Virginia really struggles on the inside. If you've got some guys with size, some guys that can really take up space, and if you get them in foul trouble, watch out. Virginia becomes very beatable. Yeah. Um, another game that I think we're seeing the team really start to take shape. North Carolina. Oh yeah. They. Uh, they beat Louisville by 10. Uh, that ended Louisville's six-game winning streak. 
UNC went on a 22-4 first half run. that put them up 34-19, and they dominated from there on out. They out-rebounded Louisville, Louisville 49-32, and they got their fifth straight win. So North Carolina seems to be kind of taking form here. Uh, kind of similar to what Roy Williams' teams have done in the past couple of years. They kind of started off a little bit slow, a little bit rusty, and then all of a sudden... By February, they start to really hit that stride. So yeah. North Carolina, to me, is the team to watch in the ACC right yeah, now. Yeah, they're starting to look like Carolina again. Um, you know, that was a dominant win against a Louisville team that's very, very good. They out-rebounded Louisville offensively 18-7. to um, You know, it outscored them, obviously, in second-chance points 18-3, to which is really your game there. Um, you've got that kind of play on the inside, which is just huge. Um with a guy like Luke May, who's just so relentless and, and, you know, can play well on the inside, but shoot well from the outside. And, and really the key to UNC is that they've got those three point shooters that can really turn a game around. Um, specifically speaking of Cam Johnson, who just continues to knock it down from three and looks so good doing it. Um, yeah, UNC again, starting to look like a quintessential UNC team, uh, big, big game winning against Louisville, obviously. And, uh, yeah, they are – they're nipping right at the heels of Duke and Virginia as far as I'm concerned. A couple of other teams to highlight. Florida State has now won three straight, albeit against Clemson, Miami, Georgia Tech. But, uh, you know, they're they're starting to kind of hit their stride a little bit. We'll see what they can do once they face a little bit tougher competition. But they've at least kind of, uh, kind of set the uh, – turn their season around a little bit here Mm -hmm. one thing to note leonard hamilton got his 140th acc game or 140th win in an acc game and is seventh on the career list for acc regular season wins and tournament wins so i don't know if you knew this about leonard hamilton but do you want to take a guess at how old leonard hamilton is because to me (laughs) he looks like he's like 45 yeah ish yeah, see, this is the thing that's going to trip me up. I'm going to guess his age based on how long I think he's been in the ACC. So I'm going to say he's 60. He's 70 years what? old. What? Get out of here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Blew me away. I couldn't believe it. He he doesn't I look a day a over guy. 55. 50 even. Yeah, he could go lower than that. It's crazy. Wow. Stat so of the day. That, that to me is more... S- more surprising than the number of wins he has in the ACC. He's been at Florida State forever, so um, good for Leonard. Let's see what they can do to uh, to keep going. Uh, Syracuse rounded out their week with two two road wins uh, over um, over Pitt and Boston College, and then uh, UVA held off Miami, who has now lost five straight. UVA only won by ten again, fourteen turnovers mm. in this game, but. Uh, they're able to weather the storm against probably the worst team in the ACC. But uh, UVA got to start playing a little bit more consistent. Um, yeah. Or else once they play a better team, they're they're going to they're they're going to get caught up with with the way that they're playing yeah, right now. Got to start taking care of the ball. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest red flags you can have as a team and you, you don't want to see that coming from a team in the top 5. So um, they're going to need to tighten that up and, and stop turning the ball over with such ease. But, yeah, I was very surprised that Miami was able to make it somewhat of a game with them. Um, you know, Chris likes with Miami. He's a really, really fast, dynamic player on a bad team. You hate it for him. Um, 
Yeah, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't like the Canes. Whatever. You know, it it is tough to see Jim Laranega in a position like this, where his team just seems to be just imploding on itself. So, um, again, though, played well against Virginia, and Virginia has got to start taking care of the basketball. But Tim, now the game we've all been oh, waiting Lord. for. Where do you begin? The game. Well, let's begin here. Let, let's let's just begin by reading off some some of these historical uh, stats. <laughs> this uh, this particular team had put up the lowest point total by a ranked team in more than three decades <laughs> of the shot clock era. The all-time low total before this game was 20 points by St. Louis against George Washington in 2008. This team shot 16.7% from the floor, 9 of 54 overall. The lowest percentage in the history of the ACC since it was founded in 1953. They did their best Houston Rockets impression, going just 2 of 28 from (laughs) 3. Their best three-point shooter, Braxton Beverly, 0 for 12 from the floor, 0 for 9 from 3. All that, they were only down by 6 at halftime. (laughs) They went 6 of 31 in the first half, 3 of 23 in the second half. Virginia Tech shot just 36%, made 7 of 21 from 3, and they held the NC State Wolfpack to 24 points. It hurts. You know, it, it stings. You know, I just say, E2 Brute, as you stab the, the knife in my back here and twist it. I, I don't know. That was a fascinating game to watch. I don't know how that happens. It was a mixture of two things. Virginia Tech played fantastic defense on the ball. They got out on shooters, and they made it difficult for NC State to score. I am not taking anything away from Virginia Tech in this game. They played really well on defense. But holy hell. You, you've heard the term the rim had a lid on it. The rim had a manhole cover on it this game for NC State. And the problem I had was NC State. You know, you know what they were shooting at? I you see you see those old basketball hoops that don't even have a rim. <laughs> that's it. That's what they were yeah, shooting at. There, there was no chance. There's like the state fair when you go out there and they give you the you know basketball that's a size too big for the hoop they want you to score at so you can win a stuffed Pokemon. It's crazy. It's it was the worst offensive basketball performance I had ever seen because of the amount of open shots they missed, the the sheer quantity of shots they put up. And the fact, this is what upset me more than anything, is during that entire game, NC State did nothing to try and make that game easier for themselves. They literally went down the court every time, it seemed, and played ISO basketball like you would at your local YMCA. And you cleared out, and you had whoever was handling the ball at the time, whether it be Markel Johnson, uh, Devin Daniels, C.J. Bryce, just cleared out and went one-on-one driving toward the rim. No ball movement. Nothing, nothing cutting towards the hoop to make things easier. It, they almost did it to themselves. At a certain point, they almost got to where they were so frustrated that they just completely forgot how to play basketball. That was a brutal, brutal performance to watch. It, just, it, it made me sick watching that on one side, 
But, you know, the Hokies won, so, you know, not so bad. But you hate to see a team like that just get embarrassed, embarrassed at home. And this happened at home. You know, it happened on their home court. Just a train wreck. Yeah, that, that was that was kind of the atrocious part of it was, you know, this was not a hostile environment. No. You're on your floor. Despite everything that happened in the first half, you're only down six, six points. And you come out in the second half and you score ten points. <laughs> they scored ten points in the second half. It's incredible. Ten. It's incredible. After scoring 14 in the first half. Man. Like, I have never in my life seen a performance like that. No. And it leads us to our mailbag question, Sam. This is from uh, this is from Will. <laughs> Should Kevin Keats be on the hot seat following the loss against Virginia Tech? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> Obviously, the answer to that question is no. Um, however, that performance was so bad and unprecedented. You know, maybe he is. I have I have no idea. This is uncharted territory. This may be a, like, you do this once and then you're on some kind of government watch list for the rest of your life because of what you did to the sport of basketball. I mean, horrible, horrible, horrible game. But, no, in all seriousness, Kevin Keats, great coach. I don't think he's got anything to worry about at NC State at the moment. What I will say echoes what I was talking about earlier with when a team is struggling that bad, the coach has got to be able to pull a team out of that kind of funk, get easy baskets, do something to set that team up and get them playing basketball again. And it seemed like the team lost their head and Kevin Keats did nothing to pull them back out of it. That is my, my largest criticism of Kevin in that game is that I thought he, you know the team was playing hero ball. He could see it and there were no changes made. That was super disappointing, but I, I don't think it's quite enough to get him on the hot seat. Well, I'll tell you what, Tim. NC State plays North Carolina on Tuesday night. Oh, boy. At North Carolina. If they don't win that game, I think he's on the hot seat. I don't know. Because you've got a team who's been kind of back and forth in the ACC this year. They've got enough talent to be there and compete. They're not getting it done in conference play. Last week was a critical week for them. And what did they do? They have a tough loss against UVA in overtime at home. They have the worst performance in ACC history. Potentially one of the worst performances ever in the shot clock era. Not, not Probably the worst, okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. now you're going to go on the road to North Carolina? And let me tell you, they're not going to beat North Carolina tomorrow night. Yeah. And when they get beat by North Carolina, they get to go on the road to Pitt. And Pitt's been sputtering a little bit, but Pitt has been tough to beat at home. So if Keats isn't able to right the ship immediately, I don't I don't know where you start coming off from a game like that, despite just throwing it away and never talking about it again. You know, maybe getting your team some extra practice after the after the after uh after practice every day, get them some extra shots. We'll just we'll call it a fluke for now. Hey, if they come out and they beat North Carolina on Tuesday night, then okay, yeah, he's off the hot seat for now. But 
He, uh, nobody's going to forget that game for a long time. I mean, that was just one of those games that's going to stick with you for the duration of your tenure there as head coach. Everybody's going to point to that and say, hey, remember when we scored 24 <laughs> points against Virginia Tech? <laughs> and the reason I will say it is being harsh. I hear what you're saying. I think NC State's early success has been its worst enemy because this was a team that was picked to finish ninth in the conference this year. This was a team that was not expected to compete uh, at a high level. The fact that Keats has them in a conversation, I think, is more to his credit than his detriment. I don't think that because they're underperforming now is taking away from him and, and say that he's missing expectations because I truly believe this team, from a talent level, is probably about ninth in the ACC where they were picked in the preseason. I think it was a great pick. Um, I think they're going to finish above ninth, however. And knowing that this wasn't supposed to be a year where Keats was going to have the best team to play with, um, he's going to get a pass from me, even when you see that god-awful performance um, from the weekend. It's it's just one of those things where you say, okay, in my mind, it is a fluke. I just I can't imagine that ever happening again to anyone in the ACC. Uh, but you're right. That's a stench that's not going to wash off. And that, that will follow him, you know, rightly or wrongly. That performance is going to follow him, not just at NC State, but wherever the hell he goes. So let's turn our focus to Virginia Tech here. And since we're recording this Monday night, we are recording right after the Virginia Tech-Louisville game. Perfect. Just something so to pick up my kinda... spirits, Justin. Thank you. Yeah, no. Any Anytime, Tim. That's what I'm here to do. What I will say is I thought, hey, losing Robinson, if they can get go one and one during this stretch against NC State and Louisville, you got to be feeling okay about it uh, because their next few games are against uh, the likes of like Georgia Tech, Clemson, Pitt. So Virginia Tech should be able to win all of those games without Justin Robinson. Uh, the game against Louisville was close. Uh, Hokie struggled from three a little bit. What we're seeing is they're not as uh, run and gun without Robinson. At least they're not as efficient at doing so. Uh, free throws really kind of stand out again. They're just missing too many shots from the line. Um, you know, Chris Mack uh, was a little displeased with the officiating at halftime, so he went in, showed his team some LeBron tape, and they came out and it was <laughs> Flop City because the amount of flops that were being called charges or you know blocking fouls or whatever on virginia tech which is absolutely oh, atrocious yeah. uh the flop on the kid that made the three where he just fell to the ground from isaiah wilkins mm-hmm. i mean he didn't even touch him like literally there was zero contact right. and they called the three he sinks all of them and uh you know it's tough for a gas virginia tech team an undermanned virginia tech team to come back from that i mean if you look at the the box score, the Hokies played this game pretty tight. They got outplayed from three. Uh, you know, Louisville made 11 to 12 free throws. Rebounding was pretty close. Uh, Louisville had the advantage on the offensive side. They were completely even on the defensive side. Uh, Virginia Tech had five blocks to Louisville's none. Louisville's not a team with a lot of size this year. These two teams actually match up pretty well with size, but it was just uh, Louisville just took more, more advantage and uh, – was just better at flopping tonight. That's really all I have to say about yeah, it. Yeah, unfortunate amount of flops. Uh, you know, Louisville makes it hard with their defense. Again, uh, similar to what Tony Bennett does at UVA. 
Um, you know, they played well enough to get the win tonight. What's really frustrating for me is Ahmed Hill, a senior who does have a good three-point shot on him, who's just been so inconsistent this year with his performances. And you had another one of those inconsistent Ahmed Hill performances where he goes four for 12 and 0 for 7 from the three-point line. That really, really cost your team. Um, other than that, no one really tore it up. Kerry Blackshear had a great game, but that's what Blackshear does. Um, eight for nine from the free throw line, which you got to love from your big guy. Just frustrating because capping off uh, this tough stretch with a win over NC State and a win over Louisville would have been just perfect. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you kind of you kind of have to be okay with it. Um, but this one's going to sting a little bit just because it was there for the taking, in my opinion. Um, you know, but off to some easier games and and hopefully getting the team healthy moving forward. Yep, it's a tough loss. It was at home. You got to win at home. Yep. Uh, they were unable to. That takes us to conference standing. So Virginia Tech now sits alone at sixth in the conference, and they have three losses. Uh, Florida State is behind them at seven at four and four, and NC State at eight at four and five. After NC State, it's a major drop off uh, between the level of teams. The top five of the conference right now, you got UVA uh, sitting atop at eight and one in the conference. Then UNC right now is seven and one. Uh, you got Duke, Louisville, and Syracuse. Uh, so Louisville and Syracuse also have two losses. Duke, UVA, North Carolina have one loss each. So. Uh, ACC standing starting to take shape a little bit. Uh, like I said, uh, Virginia Tech's got some winnable games coming up, even without Robinson. They have to take advantage. Uh, four of their next five games are against the lower tier of the ACC. Uh, the one game in between is against UVA at home. So that'll be a big one for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, some of the big matchups coming up this week, we've already highlighted the Louisville Virginia Tech game. We've got NC State, uh, North Carolina tomorrow night, or on Tuesday night. Uh, Florida State at Syracuse is a big game. Uh, I'll be interested to see how uh, how Florida State responds to a little bit of a higher level opponent mm-hmm. after winning three straight. Uh, we've got Duke, Virginia this weekend, so that is going to be a fun one, and uh, Louisville, Florida State as well. So. Those are some of the the bigger matchups we have coming up, and uh, you know, there's there's always a chance that some of these top tier teams in the ACC get knocked off by some of the lower level opponents. So we'll keep a close eye on what's uh, what's going on. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, you know, we'll see what shakes out, and as usual, we'll continue to uh, give our thoughts and feelings on this podcast. But um, yeah, basketball's front and center now. It's got the spotlight. It has. Uh, taken the torch from football never to be seen again until uh you know april when we start getting some spring games yeah that reminds me uh we forgot to talk about super bowl commercials (laughs) anything uh anything stand out to you you know i thought it was overall kind of a depressing year for super bowl commercials um another year where i i don't think and, and maybe it's as i age they get less funny um, but I feel like we're running out of funny, stupid Super Bowl commercials, and we're just left with stupid Super Bowl commercials. Um, you know, but I, I can tell you what I didn't like, and that was the chunky style milk commercial. I don't even know who was, who, what the product was, or, you know, it was just a joke. But, I mean, whatever company did that just made me so repulsed. I turned away from the TV and missed the part where they actually said who they were. But chunky style milk, no go. 
I thought Audi had an okay commercial with their uh, their car and, and the guy who is choking on the cashew. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, yeah, what about you? Yeah. Did you have any favorites? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't. Um, I remember back in the early 2000s when Budweiser used to just dominate oh, yeah. Super Bowl commercials. Oh, yeah. You know, we had the the what's up, the frogs, we had man. the talking frogs. Yeah. We had the uh, really emotional kind of like Clydesdale yes. commercials. Yeah. So this year, we do get our traditional Clydesdale commercial with the Dalmatian being driven, but it's through a field, and it says Budweiser made by wind power, and that was the message. Like, was that not the lamest? ending to a Budweiser Super Bowl commercial you've ever seen. I don't care if it's used by wind power. I don't care. And I don't, I don't care I don't if care. it's got corn syrup. The other syrup thing I don't it. care about? Yeah. Corn syrup. Is that a big deal? No. I, who gives a shit? Excuse my language. <laughs> well, apparently it's a big deal, Tim, because <laughs> they went after Miller Lite and Coors Light and Budweiser doesn't use it. So or Bud Light, I don't know, maybe Budweiser does use it. Uh, that and then the other thing that really stood out from the beer commercial front, Dosecki's guy makes an appearance in the Stella Artois commercial. Yeah, did you catch that? I did catch it. So clearly that was some type of ugly divorce that we did not hear about <laughs> to have the Dosecki's guy pull a Verizon guy move on, you know, being the most recognizable figure that brand has, and then jump and ship. Yeah. Yeah, and then Dos Equis has now has the new Dos Equis guy, which is, he's so unremarkable, I can't even picture him right now. I just know I see him in all the new Dos Equis commercials, and I'm like, eh, you know, he's not the not the snow-haired fella from the prior regime. But apparently, he's in the Stella Artois commercials now, so um, go figure. Drama. Yeah, you know, and the one that seems to be like, oh, it was so cool, was the one with like 100 NFL players in it. Mm-hmm. To me, that was just trying too hard. I, I didn't find that really. It was cool to see all the old old players, but it was very, very try hard. Um, and yeah, the the gags that they were going for, it, they didn't really hit for me. Um, it was more just like, oh, hey, cool. There's Barry Sanders. Um, you know, other than that, it was okay, I guess. Yeah, so uh, that's our show for today. As mentioned earlier, we've got the National Signing Day uh, special episode coming Wednesday night, your Thursday episode. So stay tuned for that. We are going to be diving into all the signings around the ACC and where your school ranks. Uh, so, you know, rec- like recruits, it's it's always kind of a I, – I, I don't care so much about – you know, what recruits are coming in on a daily basis. I know some people live and breathe by it or obsessed with it. Um, I always think it's, it's kind of a wait and see thing. I don't, I don't ever get too excited, but it is important. Nonetheless, you know, you gotta, you gotta be able to be able to make sure you're recruiting well, recruiting consistent. So we will, uh, we'll dive into that. Um, Tim, anything else before we sign off? Yeah, you know, nothing else other than the fact that, you know, I mentioned it before, the torch was passed. We've gone on now basketball full-time. We're going to have pitchers and catchers reporting here in a little bit. Um, You know... Not Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. Right, like, okay, so... Not to take me off on a tangent, but Bryce Harper signed with a team already. Like, no one cares. 
You figured it out. Sign with a team. Stop holding other teams hostages. We're, we're, there's a trickle-down effect in, ba- in baseball free agency that is waiting on Bryce Harper to figure out where the hell he's going to go. So please, for, for, for all of us out here that are waiting for our teams to make some moves, <clears throat> Alex Anthopoulos, Atlanta Braves, please, Bryce Harper, just go ahead and make your decision. That is what I will leave you with today. What I was going to go with is in that dreary, dreary offseason, you're going to want a college football podcast focused on the greatest athletic conference in the United States of America, and that is the ACC. So tell your friends, tell everyone you know, to come get their fix at Chowder and Grits. Not just your fix, Tim, but a vast amount of knowledge, insight, and we're going to have fun doing it. So... We're going to be here for the long haul. Uh, we're having a good time. Uh, if you're enjoying us, drop us a rating. That's all we can ask for. Share our podcast. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Uh, tell your siblings. I don't know. Tell your cousins. Tell people tell from other countries. Friends. I mean, find a pen pal sure. and tell him. Uh, we're looking to expand in foreign yeah. and emerging markets. Uh, we do have listeners overseas, Tim, yeah. just so you and know. totally not bots. So chew on that. They're not. They're they're real people. Yeah. But uh, that being said, we're Chowder and Grits. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. You can listen a variety of ways. Apple Podcasts seems to be the favorite. We're also on Google, Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Or you can head over to ChowderandGrits.com to listen there. Tim, as always, this has been fun. Great show. Study up for National Signing Day. And uh, and we'll see you all on Thursday.